This is section 13 of Mark Twain, A Biography. Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 117. Germany and German. From the notebook, it is a marvel that never loses its surprise by repetition, this aiming a ship at a mark three thousand miles away and hitting the bull's-eye in a fog, as we did. When the fog fell on us, the captain said we ought to be at such and such a spot. It had been eighteen hours since an observation was had with the silly islands bearing so-and-so and about so many miles away hove the lead and got forty-eight fathoms looked on the chart and sure enough this depth of water showed that we were right where the captain said we were another idea for ages man probably did not know why god carpeted the ocean bottom with sand in one place shells in another and so on but we see now the kind of bottom the lead brings up shows where a ship is when the soundings don't and also it confirms the soundings they reached hamburg after two weeks stormy sailing they rested a few days there then went to hanover and frankfurt arriving at heidelberg early in may they had no lodgings selected in heidelberg and leaving the others at an inn clemens set out immediately to find apartments chance or direction or both led him to the beautiful schloss hotel on a hill overlooking the city and as fair a view as one may find in all germany he did not go back after his party he sent a message telling them to take carriage and drive at once to the schloss then he sat down to enjoy the view coming up the hill they saw him standing on the veranda waving his hat in welcome he led them to their rooms spacious apartments and pointed to the view they were looking down on beautiful heidelberg castle densely wooded hills the far-flowing neckar and the haze-empurpled valley of the rhine by and by pointing to a small cottage on the hilltop he said i have been picking out my little house to work in there it is over there the one with the gable in the roof mine is the middle room on the third floor mrs clemens thought the occupants of the house might be surprised if he should suddenly knock and tell them he had come to take possession of his room nevertheless they often looked over in that direction and referred to it as his office they amused themselves by watching his people and trying to make out what they were like one day he went over there and sure enough there was a sign out moblierte wohnung zu vermieten a day or two later he was established in the very room he had selected it being the only room but one vacant in a tramp abroad mark twain tells of the beauty of their heidelberg environment to howells he wrote our bedroom has two great 
glass bird cages enclosed balconies one looking toward the rhine valley and sunset the other looking up the neckar cul-de-sac and naturally we spend nearly all our time in these we have tables and chairs in them we do our reading writing studying smoking and suppering in them it must have been a noble genius who devised this hotel lord how blessed is the repose the tranquillity of this place only two sounds the happy clamor of the birds in the groves and the muffled music of the neckar tumbling over the opposing dikes it is no hardship to lie awake a while nights for this subdued roar has exactly the sound of a steady rain beating upon a roof it is so healing to the spirit and it bears up the thread of one's imaginings as the accompaniment bears up a song i have waited for a call to go to work i knew it would come well it began to come a week ago my notebook comes out more and more frequently every day since three days ago i concluded to move my manuscripts over to my den now the call is loud and decided at last so tomorrow i shall begin regular steady work and stick to it till the middle of july or august first when i look for twitchell we will then walk about germany two or three weeks and then i'll go to work again perhaps in munich the walking tour with twichell had been contemplated in the scheme for gathering book material but the plan for it had not been completed when he left hartford now he was anxious that they should start as soon as possible twichell receiving the news in hartford wrote that it was a great day for him that his third son had been happily born early that morning and now the arrival of this glorious gift of a tramp through germany and switzerland completed his blessings i am almost too joyful for pleasure he wrote i labor with my felicities how i shall get to sleep tonight i don't know though i have had a good start in not having slept much last night oh my do you realize mark what a symposium it is to be i do to begin with i am thoroughly tired and the rest will be worth everything to walk with you and talk with you for weeks together why it's my dream of luxury harmony who at sunrise this morning deemed herself the happiest woman on the continent when i read your letter to her widened her smile perceptibly and revived another degree of strength in a minute she refused to consider her being left alone but only the great chance opened to me shoes mark remember that ever so much of our pleasure depends upon your shoes don't fail to have adequate preparation made in that department meantime the struggle with the awful german language went on it was a general hand-to-hand -hand contest from the head of the household down to little clara not one was exempt 
To Clemens it became a sort of nightmare. Once in his notebook he says, Dreamed all bad foreigners went to German heaven, couldn't talk, and wished they had gone to the other place. And a little farther along, I wish I could hear myself talk German. To Mrs. Crane in Elmira he reported their troubles. Clara Spaulding is working herself to death with her German, never loses an instant while she is awake, or asleep either, for that matter, dreams of enormous serpents who poke their heads up under her arms and glare upon her with red-hot eyes, and inquire about the genitive case and the declensions of the definite article. Livy is bully-ragging herself about as hard, pesters over her grammar and her reader and her dictionary all day. Then, in the evening, these two students stretch themselves out on sofas and sigh and say, Oh, there's no use. We never can learn it in the world. Then Livy takes a sentence to go to bed on, goes gaping and stretching to her pillow, murmuring, Ich bin Ihnen sehr verbunden, Ich bin Ihnen sehr verbunden, Ich bin Ihnen sehr verbunden. I wonder if I can get that packed away so it will stay till morning and about an hour after midnight she wakes me up and says, I do so hate to disturb you, but is it ich ben Johnson sehr befinden? And Mrs. Clemens wrote, Oh, Sue, dear, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many shall seek to enter it and shall not be able. I am not striving these days, I am just interested in German. Rosa the maid was required to speak to the children only in German, though Bay at first would have none of it. The nurse and governess tried to blandish her in vain. She maintained a calm and persistent attitude of scorn. Little Susie tried and really made progress, but one day she said pathetically, "'Mama, I wish Rosa was made in English.' Yet a little later Susie herself wrote her Aunt Sue, I know a lot of German. Everybody says I know a lot. I give you a million dollars to see you, and you would give two hundred dollars to see the lovely woods that we see." Even Howells in far-off America caught the infection and began a letter in German, though he hastened to add, "'Or do you prefer English by this time? Really I could imagine the German going hard with you for you always seem to me a man who liked to be understood with the least possible personal inconvenience. Clemens declared more than once that he scorned the outrageous and impossible German grammar, and abandoned it altogether. In his notebook he records how two Germans, strangers in Heidelberg, asked him a direction, and that when he gave it, in the most elaborate and correct German he could muster, one of them only lifted his eyes and murmured, Gott in Himmel. 
he was daily impressed with the lingual attainments of foreigners and his own lack of them in the notes he comments am addressed in german and when i can't speak it immediately the person tackles me in french and plainly shows astonishment when i stop him they naturally despise such an ignoramus our doctor here speaks as pure english as i on the fourth of july he addressed the american students in heidelberg in one of those mixtures of tongues for which he had a peculiar gift the room he had rented for a study was let by a typical german family and he was a great delight to them he practised his german on them and interested himself in their daily affairs howells wrote insistently for some assurance of contributions to the atlantic i must begin printing your private letters to satisfy the popular demand he said people are constantly asking when you are going to begin clemens replied that he would be only too glad to write for the atlantic if his contributions could be copyrighted in canada where pirates were persistently enterprising i do not know that i have any printable stuff just now separable stuff that is but i shall have by and by it is very gratifying to hear that it is wanted by anybody i stand always prepared to hear the reverse and am constantly surprised that it is delayed so long consequently it is not going to astonish me when it comes the clemens party enjoyed heidelberg though in different ways the children romped and picnicked in the castle grounds which adjoined the hotel mrs clemens and miss spaulding were devoted to bric-a-brac hunting picture galleries and music clemens took long walks or made excursions by rail and diligence to farther points art and opera did not appeal to him the notebook says i have attended operas whenever i could not help it for fourteen years now i am sure i know of no agony comparable to the listening to an unfamiliar opera i am enchanted with the airs of trovatore and other old operas which the hand organ and the music box have made entirely familiar to my ear i am carried away with delighted enthusiasm when they are sung at the opera but oh how far between they are and what long arid heart-breaking and headaching between times of that sort of intense but incoherent noise which always so reminds me of the time the orphan asylum burned down sunday night the eleventh huge crowd out tonight to hear the band play the fremersberg i suppose it is very low-grade music i know it must be low-grade music because it so delighted me it so warmed me moved me stirred me uplifted me enraptured me that at times i could have cried and at others split my throat with shouting the great 
crowd was another evidence that it was low-grade music, for only the few are educated up to a point where high-class music gives pleasure. I have never heard enough classic music to be able to enjoy it, and the simple truth is I detest it, not mildly, but with all my heart. What a poor lot we human beings are, anyway. If bass music gives me wings, why should I want any other? But I do. I want to like the higher music, because the higher and better like it. But you see, I want to like it without taking the necessary trouble, and giving the thing the necessary amount of time and attention. The natural suggestion is to get into that upper tier, that dress circle, by a lie. We will pretend we like it. This lie, this pretense, gives to opera what support it has in America. And then there is painting. What a red rag is to a bull Turner's slave ship is to me. Mr. Ruskin is educated in art up to a point where that picture throws him into as mad an ecstasy of pleasure as it throws me into one of rage. His cultivation enables him to see water in that yellow mud. His cultivation reconciles the floating of unfloatable things to him, chains, etc. It reconciles him to fishes swimming on top of the water. The most of the picture is a manifest impossibility, that is to say, a lie, and only rigid cultivation can enable a man to find truth in a lie. A Boston critic said the slave ship reminded him of a cat having a fit in a platter of tomatoes. That went home to my non-cultivation, and I thought, here is a man with an unobstructed eye. Mark Twain has dwelt somewhat upon these matters in A Tramp Abroad, he confesses in that book that later he became a great admirer of Turner, though perhaps never of the slave-ship picture. In fact, Mark Twain was never artistic, in the common acceptance of that term. Neither his art nor his tastes were of an artistic kind. End of chapter 117 Germany and German Read by John Greenman